0: Welcome to episode 285 of FStop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by an Australian portrait and landscape photographer who uses her background in visual arts and painting to create stunning and evocative photographs, Karen Waller. In today's show, we discuss Karen's journey in photography and how she's engaged in it to help with the grieving process. Before we get rolling, I want to ask you for a favor. If you've been listening to the podcast at all and get value out of it, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It is how I keep the podcast free of ads, and it's a great way to get access to bonus content, merch, and early episodes. If you already support the show on Patreon, thank you. If not, please hit pause and go to patreon.com forward slash and listen. Thank you. Okay, let's get to this week's show with Karen Waller. Aaron Waller, it's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Great, thanks, Matt. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I feel like you've been recommended by several of our former guests, including one of my favorite aerial photographers, Carolyn Chang. So it's great to, to have you here.
1: Great, thank you. I'm looking forward to sharing my story and my and talk about my work with you, Matt. Awesome.
0: And it's always awesome to have more women, and it's always awesome to have more people from Australia.
1: Yeah, great. Excellent. Glad to be here, for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, for people who aren't familiar with you and your photography, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay then, Matt. So I'm an Australian photographer. I live in Adelaide in South Australia. I have a husband and a daughter that's just finishing school. I'm a photographer sort of past 50 years of age. (laughs) I won't be too specific there, but yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Adelaide's a reasonably small city, maybe one and a half million people. So yeah, it's a great place to live. Lots of creative people and lots of festivals in this state. Look, it's easy to travel to fantastic locations from Adelaide. You know, we've got a great, diverse sort of landscapes within South Australia as well from coast to we have a mountain range, not an epic mountain range in scale, but it's quite it's very beautiful. Flinders ranges. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I think it's the coastal the coastal landscapes, some incredible salt lakes in South Australia, so quite kind of flat landscapes, incredible sand dunes. So they're sort of the places that I'm drawn to in my photographic landscape work, but but I'm also a portrait photographer. I seem to spread myself over a number of genres and you know in particular, I, mean, I guess I'm passionate about portrait photography, portrait photography, and landscape photography. But for my everyday kind of work, I you know I do sort of commercial work and portraits. Yeah, so and yeah, so that's my main my main genres, I guess. Yeah.
0: And are you you are doing this for full time now?
1: Yeah, so I'm a full-time photographer and I do I guess I do a lot of the creative stuff, you know, for my personal personal project or my personal sort of work. And I haven't seemed to be able to get out of Adelaide for a while because I I'm just doing the everyday work that and I need to sort of be here, (laughs) be here in the city for that. So, yeah.
0: And how long have you been doing photography full-time?
1: Full-time, probably for around, you know, 15 years, I guess. Okay. Yeah, full-time, but, yeah, yeah, I guess around that time. But I've been sort of interested in photography since the probably mid-90s and, you know, I guess my skills have developed over time and, Uh, yeah, working full time, sort of started off doing, yeah, portrait work, weddings and mostly, yeah, and family portraits.
0: Okay. And uh, what
1: was it, what were
0: you doing before that? Oh, so,
1: so I studied visual arts and I majored in painting and drawing. When I finished my degree sort of in the late 80s and sort of 90s I really struggled to work full-time as an artist and to kind of make an income from doing that work I think we weren't really equipped with the skills to the the business skills to work out in the world so I was just doing other work whatever I could find sort of working with you know in disability services or retail to kind of (laughs) and having that balance between the creative process and yeah and just surviving I guess but so yeah in the late 90s I started to move into photography and I think the first thing that I was doing was using a Polaroid camera and I just was really attracted to the fact that I could have these little images pop out of the camera. And you know, sort of this and just watch the image emerge and I really loved that. I was really drawn to that process. And you could kind of manipulate the images by drawing on the the surface of the little the image and manipulate the ink within the image. So I really loved that. You know, it was a sort of instant gratification and but then over time I realised that I needed more control over my images and that was when I sort of bought a an SLR film camera and started working and developing my skills through photography. And I guess there in the, in the 20, 2000s I moved into digital photography, you know, which I love because, it, it, again, it gives me more creative flexibility in terms of manipulation of the images yeah, and I really, really, really love it. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing, All right. photography. All
0: right. So so what was it about photography that has captured your artistic soul that perhaps wasn't as easily harnessed through other mediums such as painting or drawing?
1: Yeah. I guess it's probably easier in terms of I guess I was always doing really large paintings so it's just having that space yeah I think that was a big a big thing and the cost of painting as well probably just the expense of paints whereas or now you know well obviously equipment camera equipment is expensive but you know you can capture images and it's relatively inexpensive that process yeah I just I don't know it's kind of a strange transition but you know, I loved that process of painting and I feel like I haven't stopped being that painter. I'm still that person, but I'm just using a different, different tools and different equipment to tell my stories.
0: Yeah. How, how has that training and education and practice in painting and drawing influenced the way that you approach your photography?
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely fundamental in how I approach my photography. I mean, I was learning, I was trained in, you know, just basic visual elements including composition, tone, colour and how they work on a two-dimensional surface. And, you know, being able to, I guess, capture an image and tell the for it to read on a three-dimensional plane, I guess. So, yeah, so using colour to push something back in space. So, you know, obviously, like, warm comes forward and cool, sits back spatially. So having an understanding of how colour works, having an understanding and a great appreciation of composition. I think composition is probably one of my strengths. It's one of the things that I'm always really focused on so yeah and tone and again how that works spatially so yeah that that and and also the process of mark making you know that that the human touch that it's been created by a human and I think that does trans it does carry through with my photography because I'm sort of always looking at textures and And I think it's particularly evident in some of my my aerial images where the the marks of the salt, or, you know, they could almost be a paint or a palette knife just splashed across the surface.
0: And are you actively looking for that type of stuff in the landscape, or is it stuff that just screams out at you when you see it?
1: Probably a bit of both. Okay. Probably actively looking for it and. Yeah, enjoying it when I see it. Yeah, that you know, particularly with the aerial stuff that's more abstract. Yeah, and and you know, with the with the aerial, like with the Salt Lake abstract aerials, they really lend themselves to that mark making kind of process or that illusion of paint being on a surface because they are quite minimal and quite yeah, quite abstract in their
0: nature, yeah. Right. Well, you know, when I look at a lot of your work, it, it there's a lot of consistent themes running through a lot of it, but what struck me is that a lot of it seems to be dark and moody and have a lot of emotions and kind of evoke a lot of feelings, and I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the driving forces behind your work.
1: Yes, okay. So it's interesting that you're seeing that there is a lot of dark and light in my images and you know I feel in some ways that that is almost very self-referential and that I'm all of my images they're all kind of self-portraits in a way because every image is in is a part of who I am, and you know, that that's sort of reflected through my work. So I feel I feel that I'm often telling stories or trying to capture both the darkness and the light, but often there's more darkness, and that's me, you know, that's who I am. There's more darkness, but but I want to kind of also have a bit of hope and a bit, bit of that, and then that's the light, there's hope, and there's joy there is joy but there's sort of a lot of darkness as well in my work and in who I am and that's kind of hard to talk about but I, I really love the fact that well but I mean the darkness and the light I mean it is photography it's that's how we work we're working with light and light and dark so that's a nice kind of juxtaposition of thoughts and ideas. But I guess I carry that through with a lot of my work, but different themes. For example, it might be strength and vulnerability and trying to capture that in a portrait, for example. It could be, say, in nature, that juxtaposition between the natural environment and and the human influence on that environment and you know having them together in an image, so I think very much I'm very much about trying to somehow communicate those opposing themes in my work
0: And to what degree are you cognizant of those forces having an influence on the capture process? Because I know for myself yes. A lot of the times when I'm out there, I'm not always aware of all of that stuff, but then when I get back to the computer and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, wow, there's something going on there.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. It happens on location or it happens back once you kind of are seeing the images and you might sort of see something that you haven't seen before. And so, for example, with my portrait work, that may I may go in sort of knowing that that's what I want to capture because I know I've had extensive conversations with the subject. It may just happen spontaneously where this for example, well I've sent one image to you of one of my subjects who's quite he's quite a a character who has quite a tough exterior. Uh, he worked on stations, but he told me a story and became quite emotional, and so the images of him, you know, crying. Yeah, I
0: was immediately impacted by that image.
1: Yeah, but the thing I really love about that is the fact that he is very comfortable with that, how he's represented in that image. He's very comfortable with the emotion that he's expressed. So, you know, that moment, I didn't know that that was going to happen, So that's just unfolding as we're having a conversation. But then that has become quite a powerful image because of our perception of who he is, because of his appearance, and but then you've got this very vulnerable emotive side to this person. So, you know, so it can happen, it can happen on location, it can happen sorry, in the landscape, you might it might happen when you're there, it might happen back once you get in and download the images, or with the portrait work, yes, it may be pre-planned or it just may happen spontaneously. Sometimes you just don't know, but I guess guess through knowing my subject, I may kind of get a bit of a feel for what it is I'm trying to achieve in the image, yeah, definitely, with that juxtaposition of kind of ideas, yeah.
0: I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your process for those the portrait work because it's it sounds like a lot of that is not you know the typical portrait work where someone's like hey I need you to take some headshots for me or yeah. like take some pictures of my family but this work is more personal like you're yeah. seeking that work out yeah and I would love for you to talk a little bit about kind of your process for finding your subjects engaging yeah. with your subjects and then in translating that to capture
1: Yes, okay, so I'm I'm always seeking out interesting portrait subjects and look, sometimes, so my family's on York Peninsula, which is about two hours' drive from Adelaide. So, you know, it's a small town and it's a kind of community where there's lots of farmers and just, you know, a variety of small country towns on the peninsula So I guess my my mum lives over there and her partner and through them I I can kind of say, well, who do you know that could be really interesting to photograph? Yeah. So they might go, "Mm, yes, okay, this person would be, they would be great, you know, they've got a good story or they've got an interesting face. So that kind of, and then they can kind of connect me with that person. So that's one way. Look, I have been known to approach people in shops and 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 it's quite quite at times I'll be in the supermarket or or out somewhere with my husband and my daughter and there'll be someone passing by and they they just look at me and go I know what you're thinking you know they know that I see potential (laughs) in this subject and so they, they do know me very well so I have done that before approached people and I guess I try and I try and be really flattering and just kind of say look you you would be a wonderful subject to photograph. So yeah, so I have a variety of techniques that I employ and that has served me well I guess and yeah, I think people generally do respond well to to being approached. So recently there was I haven't Oh no, I do. I have Sent you that image, Matt. It's the there's a it's a farmer. Again, it's quite a dark portrait. And I approached him again, a contact on York Peninsula, so through my mum and her partner. I didn't. They thought he would be a wonderful subject, and I approached him, but I didn't expect that he would agree to it because of just because he's quite introverted, and. And I was just very happy when he said yes. So that portrait that you see is one of the images that I captured on this day. And, you know, I think it's it, the portrait is about the connection between me and the subject. So often it can be really subtle but it's just that gaze, that connection that you get with the, with the audience and the subject. So that was a very interesting portrait to capture because at the time he was really unwell, but I didn't know that. I don't think anyone actually knew that, and it was several months later that he actually passed away. Oh, wow. And, you know, which was quite a shock, came as quite a shock, and, you know, it was really quite sad, but I was so just grateful that he'd given me that his time and I'd had that opportunity to capture these really kind of poignant and powerful images of him and I I always wonder whether he did it for his family so I could that they would have that record so yeah yeah that's kind of how I go about finding some of my subjects I think there was more to your question
0: yeah I mean once once you they agree to be your subject yes what is your process for engaging with them to then evoke the actual image
1: yes so okay so often I'll spend time with the subject even before the shoot and just get a bit of an insight into who they are and perhaps have a look at the locations and their environment to yeah get a feel for where they live or you know or or it might be just a studio shot I might just set up a little studio at home no light and and so yeah that's that's an important part of the process is just finding that connection with the subject I think it's also very much about empathy and understanding their humanity and their story and how I guess I connect to that story and how I relate to them as human beings. So, look, and then I, I obviously I take the images back and reflect on the images. What is it I want to say? Is it a simple story where it's just about that emotion and that connection with the audience? Or is it something more complicated where I want to introduce other elements, other elements that i photographed and perhaps create some sort of composite image, so yeah I mean it can be a lengthy process it may take may take time to actually see the story within the image and what it is I'm trying to actually convey to the
0: audience okay and then thinking about that process you just explained in terms of identification of subject and then getting the subject to feel comfortable and then yes. capture how does that Process translate into your nature and landscape work.
1: Okay, how does that translate into my nature? I think it really does because I think when I go out into the landscape and that I've I've only been shooting landscapes for around six years, I think, and I I would just want to talk about how that came to came about. My, so my father passed away around six years ago and he, he died of cancer and probably around eight months before that his partner also died of cancer. So it was a particular thing. And after my father passed away, it was really, it was a particularly traumatic death for me and I really struggled afterwards. I really struggled with that. I wasn't expecting to, I thought I'd be have a sense of, okay, that's, there's no more suffering but it it yeah it was quite unexpected how i struggled so i just could not quieten those voices in my head they just would not go away and i guess i'd always in the past i had drawn on the creative process to get me through difficult times and i found that going out into the landscape and just being in a place of great sort of quiet and, and also focusing on the creative process, I was able to just quieten those voices and just just be immersed in the moment. It was just fantastic. I think I I see with my eyes, but I think I see with all of my senses. I'm in the landscape, I'm I'm hearing the sounds, I'm very much a I mean, I'm a great lover of birds. So I'm in the landscape. I'm hearing the birds and recognizing, you know, what they are. I'm just, and the smells, you know, the smells of eucalypts after the rain or the, the smell of the ocean, the sand, all of those things come to bear, as you would well understand, come to bear on the sense of place and being in the landscape. I think the other amazing I think I'm probably digressing here but it's I guess in response to how I take a portrait and how I take a landscape I think it's very much about being present and just yeah being in the moment and engaging with the subject and really connecting with the subject One of the most sort of wonderful experiences that I've had as a landscape photographer here in South Australia is, say, travelling to places, I'll, I'll just tell you the name of the place, Fowlers Bay, which is on the far west coast of South Australia, over near the Head of Bight, which is where, at the beginning of the Nullarbor Plain, Head of Bight is where the the oh, southern right whales they come in to breed at at later in the year. Sort of set, August September is when they come in and breed, and they come in quite close to shore. So Fowler's Bay is a little town, sort of close to this area. So people stay at Fowler's Bay, but there's this this incredible extensive range of Sand dunes just by the coast. It's almost like the town will one day be swallowed up by these <laughs> dunes. It's incredible. So my greatest joy is being in these dunes on my own and just walking through. I know I'll never get lost because I know where the I know the sea's in that direction on two sides. But that is my absolute place where I just feel just the greatest sense of joy. But as I walk through these dunes, I look down and I see tools, Indigenous Australians' tools or remains of mules. Oh, wow. And I know that those things have been... And, I mean, we're talking... I don't know how long. I mean, well, I know that they have been in Australia maybe fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 years, so... You know, as the sand dunes shift, these things are revealed and I'm almost looking at a portrait of this time that goes and a portrait of these people that were once here having a meal or just being in this place, living their lives. So I find that really powerful, that experience of being in the landscape but also... Recognizing and acknowledging the indigenous Australians that have been here for fifty sixty thousand years, and that really kind of touches me, and that really connects me to the landscape in a really kind of deep and you know almost a, quite a spiritual kind of way
0: yeah um, yeah there's a there's a place not too far from here, well a lot of American photographers will know it. it's called Monument Valley, but there's a there's a specific part of Monument Valley called Hunts Mesa that you have to have a Navajo guide to go up there. Okay. Yep. You spend the night, and I describe that experience up there very similarly because it's, yeah. it's, you know, you, you just, especially if you can have a conversation with your Navajo guide and talk about yes. the culture. and Yes. It's just a really magical, spiritual experience like you're describing. Yeah,
1: yeah, great. Oh, that's good that you can kind of connect with that, understand that kind of spiritual Feeling because I'm not a spiritual, religious person at all. But I can. I'm not either.
0: That. Yeah. yeah. No, and just, it, it is. It is hard to articulate in words. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it is hard to articulate, but I get. But and I really experience it when I'm on my own. And look, I can be in lots of different locations, and just I'm. I guess I'm. I'm quite good at recognizing these little implements because I, I look. You know, I've got because I use my eyes. <laughs> That's what I do. (laughs) So it's it's in all of those landscapes, but it's particularly moving when I think about how I'm seeing this little snapshot of time, and I know that maybe tomorrow the sand will cover that little place, and something else will be revealed in another area in those dunes. So yeah, what have I? So yeah, definitely a real connection to the landscape, and also the same with my portrait subjects.
0: Yeah, and something you said earlier about how you engage with your portrait subjects I feel like can translate over into your nature photography, and you said yeah. that it's really all about listening and having empathy, and I'm curious if you find yourself listening and having a sense of empathy with, with nature.
1: Yes, oh, definitely, Matt. Absolutely. Look, I grew up. I grew up in rural or country, South Australia. I went to seven different primary schools in different country towns. So I had, I guess, you know, I had that childhood in a in country in the country, and so I was I experienced, you know, nature, and I experienced, and I also was very much influenced by both my parents and my dad's, my maternal grandmother, who shared their love of nature with me. My dad was really into birds, so I grew up loving birds. We lived in this little town on the far west coast of South Australia called Wirrala small very small town I think the town was our kind of playground but my dad uh, yeah I I very I I grew up I loved rocks I collected rocks I grew up I sort of had a lizard farm out in the back of the yard you know we had some amazing there were some amazing lizards little thorny mountain devils if you want to find it they eat ants they look quite they've got little thorns but they're very gentle but they look quite intimidating (laughs) amazing creatures so I but it was fantastic it was a fantastic childhood my dad was the bank manager of this town and they knew the bank manager had a relationship with all of the customers who were often farmers and the farmers knew the bank manager's children and they would bring in lizards for me you know so so I, that was really lovely it was lovely to have a childhood growing up in the country and having those experiences with nature, and I think that's definitely given me a really great appreciation of of the landscape, nature, and the environment look i mean i I get one of my images that I sent to you is of an older woman, and in the foreground is a tiny bird that has this dead and Look, I found that in my front yard and I just saw it and I just felt it just felt like the most it was just kind of heartbreaking to see this little fleeting life. And I had to kind of keep it and I've put it in the freezer for some time, in not in the kitchen, out in the shed freezer because I felt like I wanted to honour the the life of that little bird in some way because it just was so fragile and so incredibly beautiful. And so one of my portraits is of of an older lady with the bird in the foreground and that kind of tells the story of, again, sort of a juxtaposition, the fleeting nature of life but also how we can live long and incredible lives so yeah so nature and and you know I'm very I get my heart is easily hurt by seeing things like that and seeing like roadkill it breaks my heart it really does
0: yeah. Well, you you touched on it a little bit earlier about your your father passing and, yes. and how photography had helped you through that. And I was just curious if you could tell us a little bit more about how engaging in photography has helped you with the grieving process.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was, yeah, particularly when I was struggling to as i mentioned just quieten those voices that were constant that creative process just gave me a a, a break from from that and from my the noise in my head and also it just because the creative process it's very much a part of who i am it's very much it always has been my whole life even as a young child and someone that was passionate about drawing and painting yeah i think it's it's a very, yeah, it's just fundamental to who I am and and just having that, that, oh, sorry, can I stop there because yeah. I just need to sort of rethink about that, how I answer that question. Yeah, <laughs> no you, worries. What have I written down? So what was the, can you just, just say the yeah. question again? Uh, but,
0: yeah. How has engaging in photography helped you with the grieving process?
1: Did I answer that before? Sort I mean, of.
0: Sort of. I'd yeah. Pre- okay.
1: Okay. So I'll just re- I'll start again and re-answer that. So photography has really helped with the grieving process because I think creating images and the creative process is really fundamental to who i am so it's about acknowledging that part of my identity and it, and it also it also acknowledges the lives of those people that for example it acknowledges the life of my father because he did influence me in That my love of nature. So, yeah, I guess I'm I'm honouring him by going out into the landscape and taking photographs of nature. It helped me by quiet, by lowering the voices in my head and kind of stopping them. It's a form of mindfulness, I guess, and meditation, that process of going out into the landscape and and, and in a different way to say portrait photography because I guess portrait photography I have to engage with my subject and but when I'm in the landscape there's no expectations I'm just on my own I can just create and there's no expectations so yeah it yeah it was an important part of the grieving process because it gave me a way to just kind of switch off from the pain in a way, yeah.
0: When you when you look back on the work that you created during that process, does it have a distinct feeling or tone or mood that your current work might not have anymore? I don't, I think, I think
1: that I'm still, that I'm continuing to, and probably always have. I, I think there's, there's just this very similar themes throughout my work and they're very constant. I don't know if there was, were themes that weren't present before the death of my father. I think I just, I've always tried to tell difficult stories even before his death. So I think it's always been about telling the challenging stories of pain and, and grief and loss and vulnerability so yeah I think it, it shows through everything that I've always done really
0: brilliant and then in terms of I feel like when you create work like that that is a is about something else which I think is a pretty high high bar to set for yourself I feel like sometimes you're not you but just artists in general are walking this fine line of of it not being too obvious or contrived versus having that emotional and evocative impact that you hope it does without it, you know, just looking like you're trying to do more than what it is. So I'm curious, what is your kind of thinking or thought process or approach to walking that fine line?
1: Well, it's definitely a fine line and it is really challenging to try and, Tell us tell the story without being too obvious, so I think when it's about the emotion it's that's well well, it's kind of obvious, but it's you know you're not including elements, yeah, not including elements that are really overtly obvious. Hang on, I might need to redo that one. Matt. No, you're
0: good. It's a tough question, and I didn't give re- it to you ahead I'm of time. I'm getting good
1: at re re trying to redo them. So, okay, let me just think this. So, it's definitely a challenge to try and tell a story of a portrait subject without being too obvious, and and with that, it, there is a fine line between yeah, telling the story really in a really obvious way and trying to do it in a really subtle way so yeah that's definitely a challenge that I face with every portrait subject so it's something that I'm always considering and I think less is always more and I want the I kind of want my audience to try and find the story and to to try and seek out the story that is less obvious I think as well
0: yeah, I think that's that is the the trick, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's yeah, very and challenging. I,
0: and I think it applies to, you know, nature and landscape work too. It's Yes, uh, yes. I've personally found that trying to weave in other stories into nature photography is a huge challenge, but it is fun when you can pull it off.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I guess you know, we want to sort of experiment and try different ways of telling stories and and that's part of the, the challenge and the excitement of being a photographer and a storyteller.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. I just wanted to go back to one of your earlier questions and that yeah, was sure. about how my painting has influenced my current work. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of my images that I've been doing recently and that's some of the ICM work. I think I sent one of the images to you, so the intentional camera movement. So basically I those images are captured in camera and you know with the longer exposure with intentional movement during the exposure. So some the one that I sent to you is probably around a second So I'm really enjoying creating those images because they do have a really lovely painterly quality about them because you're capturing the movement and flow of the... Well, I've been focusing on one subject, which has been agaves, and during a lockdown that we had in South Australia in early 2020, I was kind of wanting to do something creative, but we're kind of confined to our homes, our yards. But I th- just thought I'd go out and explore my garden and started photographing these agave plants. And since then I've continued to do it and experiment with the ICM um, images. And, look, it's great because I could take a few hundred and maybe get one image. So it's kind of that element of failing, but every now and again you find something. And And no, I think... It's, like it's,
0: playing a slot
1: machine. Yeah, it is, but it's still intent. There is kind of the intention that you will get something that that works, but right. But it's a lovely sort of process. In the end, result can be just. It 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 takes me back to being a painter, so I feel like that I'm drawing on that painting sort of background as well. Yeah, so I think my ICM agave images people have really enjoyed enjoyed kind of seeing those. And uh, I've enjoyed kind of capturing them and sort of, de- of developing my own kind of style around that as well.
0: Yeah, I just uh, recorded a podcast a few days ago with Devalda Bailey. I'm not sure if oh, you're yeah. friends, yep. But yep. That, that was a that was a really good time. We talked a lot about ICM and double okay. exposure. And, oh, yeah. fantastic.
1: I'll look forward to hearing the podcast.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like that style of work can really open up a lot of ways just to creatively express yourself.
1: Definitely, and I'm sort of I'm looking forward to being able to do it with my drone as well. And, okay. yeah, I think, you know, every technique that you explore and everything, I mean, even though I do diverse, work in diverse genres, and I think every technique and thing that you explore can be trans, you know, can... What I'm trying to say you can it's transferable yeah that's a good word transferable so it's kind of lovely nothing is lost or nothing doesn't have a purpose at the end of the day every exploration and experiment and journey creatively really yeah can be transferred to another genre or experience and creative process yeah
0: and I've noticed too that a lot of your work tends to involve the exploration of abstract type images and I'm curious what it is about those type of images that attracts you.
1: So some of my, my some of my more recent images have been aerial images of the salt lakes on York Peninsula. I did try doing a few aerial images from a plane but then I decided to buy a drone to give me more flexibility mm-hmm. in capturing some of these salt lakes. It hasn't been as flexible as I thought in you know that yeah but anyway at least I know that I can travel to York Peninsula and there's lakes that I can fly over but always there's that sort of I think consideration around private property and stuff so yeah, it's it is a bit limited, but there's some that I can go to and it's okay. So I started exploring those when I bought my drone last year. So a lot of my recent images, which you'll mostly posted on Instagram, have been those aerial abstract images. I love it that they're quite minimal. I love it that you're actually, you know, it's an image of reality, but it just it appears quite abstract from the yeah. perspective and yeah, I, I, it's yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing seeing the world looking down. And I think well, and, yeah. and I don't
0: know about you, but I, I have a drone also and one of, oh, the yeah. that's, one of the things that's so much fun about it is that just by a simple change of your elevation or moving you know changing your pitch or your camera angle, you can create all these intersecting lines that didn't exist before or, or, or that it would be impossible. From the ground to see your capture, and yes, you start to see all of these patterns and all of yeah. these shapes appear before you, and you're like, Whoa!
1: Well, no, like, it's just it's the best experience ever.
0: It really and, is um, fun,
1: it's fun because you know, for me, say on whether these the salt lakes are, they, they just look like nothing from ground level, beautiful textures and colors. But when you get up above, you just see how the salt. How it's evaporated and the patterns that are left behind and the beautiful lines and textures. So, you know, I love that. I love that. But it's also such a different experience to being in the landscape because I'm sitting in my car. I don't. I've just got my phone and I'm looking at that and I'm, you know, seeing the world from above. But I'm just. So it's quite a different experience. Of it's not. I'm not in the landscape. I'm sort of this observer with an observer. It's quite a different. Way to capture the landscape,
0: yes. But one one thing that what you bring up is one thing I don't didn't like about flying a drone at first is, you know, on your phone it's such a small screen, and what I found that really helped me find it a lot more immersive and feel like you're actually there a little bit more is I oh,
1: just sorry, Matt. Can I just yeah yeah just get you to pause there for a sec for sure. Sorry, I have. The so when, when yeah. I
0: when I when I first got my drone, one of the things that I didn't like about it, because you're looking at it on your phone screen, yeah. which is so small, was that yeah. I didn't feel like I was part of the the experience. You know, that's, yes. <laughs> and so what's really helped me find the experience more immersive is I actually bought an iPad, and I yeah. have a little I don't know like a little adapter thing that connects it to my drone controller and okay so i have a you know like a nice size screen that's that i great, can look yeah at. and that's really helped a lot because you can and it also helps with composition and yeah you start to see so much more of what you're actually photographing and so that's helped that's helped me a lot
1: yeah i, I definitely would concede i just haven't quite got there in in getting something that's larger but yeah I definitely need that to maybe improve my experience because it is a bit of a struggle looking at a small screen so I'll I'll look at doing that very soon
0: (laughs) yeah it it definitely helped me for sure because I didn't super enjoy the experience of it until I until I got that and I was like oh this is way more fun
1: yeah so are you really limited with where you can fly your drone as well
0: I mean, in the United States, there's very black and white rules. You know, you're not supposed to Mm -hmm. go over 400 feet in elevation. You're not supposed to fly in national parks. You're not supposed to fly in wilderness areas. But I am really lucky because I live super close to a lot of public land. That's just, it's not national parks. It's not state parks. It's just national. It's just, you know, Bureau of Land Management, you know. Yes. And so, pretty much, sky's the limit there in terms of what you can do. So, yeah. I've been having a lot of fun exploring a lot of that.
1: Oh, that's great! That's great. Yes, it's the same here. It's you know national parks and conservation parks. And look, sometimes I put my drone up and I see, I might see a flock of birds, and I think, oh no, I don't want to disturb them. So I just go to a different salt lake. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of think, oh, that would really annoy me if I was a bird. I try and be respectful, but yeah, it is an annoying thing for them. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: for sure, yeah. I'm I'm always trying to be mindful about that as well. It's, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's important. We don't we don't fly around other people. We don't. Yes. You know, it's we're in the middle of nowhere. No one can see or hear us. So
1: yes, that's yeah. I, I'm the same. It's a very try and be very respectful. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, had another topic I wanted to ask you about, and that is the idea of revealing something new in familiar subjects. And I'm curious what your process is for trying to achieve that.
1: Hmm, That's a really, I, I, I had that question and I've kind of really considered it. It's a quite a difficult thing to, to answer, I think. And I guess I may have, touched on it earlier, but I think it's sort of about really being present in, you know, whatever it is I'm shooting, but really being present and engaging all of my senses to see, you know, to see the subject and by doing that, it's that's kind of when something is sort of revealed to me, I guess. And, it, yeah, and as you mentioned before, maybe that happens in post-production but it's definitely about that presence and really kind of considering everything that's in the, in the image or in the, the composition at the time, yes.
0: Okay. So can you give me something a little bit more concrete out of that? So <laughs> like, let's say that you're photographing a salt lake. For example, yes, with your drone, what is your approach for revealing something else about the lake that maybe others might not have noticed?
1: Okay, so I mean, for example, so if I'm, well, I guess, well, for for a start, if I'm shooting with my drone, it's going to be a completely different perspective to what people are seeing. Sure, generally, so there's, I guess, that's one element. I kind of like, I'm drawn to elements of perhaps human influence. So maybe an old fence that's fallen down, or, you know, the image that I sent to you where, that has the tree that's sort of, that's kind of chopped, chopped up or broken, it seems. It's quite a difficult, yeah, it's hard to kind of, it's a difficult question to respond to, but I guess I want people to see maybe things that are less beautiful in the image, Mm. to perhaps discover something that they may have overlooked before, to see beauty in the broken fence, the rusty fence, the fence that had a life or a story, that that is a portrait of something, it's a portrait of the history of a place or... I don't know if that answers your question in any way, Matt. Yeah, for sure. Good. I mean, um,
0: you'd, you'd also sent over this uh, this picture of this guy on his patio, and it like his house is painted green. Oh, and there's a cat, and yes. I'm kind of struck by by what you're talking about in relationship to that particular photograph as well, because I feel like there's it's a very ordinary scene. I suspect. Yes. But there's something more going on here that is being revealed through your capture.
1: Yeah, great. I'm glad that you've brought up that image because that's probably one of my favourite images of all time. So an older guy on his front veranda of kind of that 50s or 40s, 50s style of house painted in that kind of pale, limey green colour. There's a lot. He's standing there, he's holding on to the veranda post and he's very kind of, you know, he's stiff but he's solid and firm. That's his home. You know, he doesn't, he's very much a part of that place. And in the background you've got the roller shutters. I have to look at the image so I can, again, just remind myself. So in the background... There's roller shutters and there's parallel lines on the roller shutters, which kind of are uh, echoed in his jumper. Um, and there's some, a bit of grass in the foreground. The veranda's painted green. Now, the reason the house, his wife had passed away a couple of years before I photographed this image. So he was very, he was another person that was very emotional and very comfortable expressing his emotion. His, when he first met his wife, I think she was wearing green and that was her favourite colour. And that's why they painted the house green. And I just, you know, I love that, that, that connection to the colour and the, the, the story of his wife. But also in the, in, on the veranda is a house, sorry, is a cat, a ginger cat just stepping off the veranda, moving out of the scene. And, you know, it's a, just a beautiful story of how he's, Yeah, it's very ordinary. It's very ordinary. But there's some fantastic graphic elements in the image. But there's also that kind of dynamic thing of the cat just stepping out. And, you know, it's a single capture. That just happened. That was a moment. So, yeah, very. And it's a very, it feels very Australian too. It feels like a very Australian kind of iconic (laughs) kind of.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think. One aspect of this that I think is revealing is that so often in photography, we tend to get super obsessed about gear and and about yeah. editing and techniques and learning all the newest tricks of the trade. But I think what people f- sometimes forget is that there are these moments happening all the time around mm-hmm. us that that really just requires – You to be paying attention and to to notice it and to capture it in a way that's interesting, and I'm you could probably have captured that photo with a phone. You know, I mean, it's you know what I'm saying. It's yeah,
1: that's right. You could have it could have been captured with a phone.
0: So I feel like it it kind of demonstrates the idea that people are maybe focused in on the wrong things in terms of trying to improve their photography
1: yeah yeah definitely look look i mean i i'm not focused look i mean i have some good i have some good equipment but that's but it really is about capturing you know i mean yeah you can be technically amazing you can have all the skills but if you but we connect to those moments we connect to, to the emotion if that that's not there then yeah how do we connect to an image so that is very important to me I'm not I'm not focused look I don't particularly focus on equipment or because I know that that's not they're not the things that make that people connect with or engage with in terms of my work you know I've got technical skills I've had to develop those over time and through a professional organisation that I was involved... Well, I was involved in the Australian Institute of Professional Photography for probably around 10 years. They Unfortunately, they closed down, they closed their doors at the end of last year, but they sort of had state and national photographic competitions. So that really helped me develop, well, both technically and creatively, but, yeah, so... They're both important. Technical skills are definitely important, but you've got to have the story, you've got to have the emotion, I think. Well, that's my my sort of feeling about my process and my work.
0: Brilliant. Well, last question I've got for you is if you could tell us about the photography tours that you're running in the York Peninsula.
1: Yes, so... I spent most of my high schooling years on York Peninsula and that's where my mum lives. And I, you know, I, my dad lived there as well, but my mum's still there and I go off the, over there quite often. I go over there to photograph portraits. I go over there to photograph the landscape and now with my drone and the Salt Lakes. So I'm working in partnership with a, B&B and the person that runs the B&B in a little town called Waruka, And from there, we're sort of doing tailored photographic tours. You know, I mean, there's so many sort of opportunities. York Peninsula is quite a unique kind of, you have to have a look, Matt, at York. Google Earth, York Peninsula, it's like a foot. It's a foot shape. But from that, from York Peninsula, you can kind of, you've got coast kind of facing north south east and west so it's quite unique a unique kind of coastline in south australia but there's a an enormous amount of salt lakes down near Yorktown. so if you go onto google earth you can kind of see all of these lakes and how how many there are so with the tours we can go to you know there's the salt lakes down the bottom of the peninsula there's a national park Called. Oh, look, I'm just having a look at the name because it's got...
0: Dilba Garanda in it? Thank
1: you. Yes, that's it. I, I know because it used to be... I'm just looking on Google Maps. So Yeah, great. <laughs> so they've given it now. It used to be just Innes National Park, but they've, they're acknowledging the Aboriginal people from... Oh, I'm seeing all uh, these the lakes Aboriginal, now and I'm yeah. yeah.
0: seeing so so all these... Funny. All these lakes are making me drool. <laughs>
1: You can come to Australia. I would love to show you around.
0: Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, we've
1: got the beautiful coasts in the National Park, you know, rugged coastal cliffs and there's, oh, it's amazing. And there's there's old, there's, ship, there's a shipwreck down there called the Ethel, which is visible at different certain times, which is amazing. You know, there's lighthouses. There's an old abandoned town. So, you know, I've got the National Park and we've got the Salt Lakes and, yeah, lots of, well, for me, being involved in the tours, we can access old ruins on private property and, you know, that would be great for sort of astrophotography. So, yeah, just trying to tailor tours to suit different interests of people that might love to be involved. And the person that runs the B&B, Steph. Steph, she has really great local knowledge of the area. And, yeah, so... I'd love to show. Take anyone? Can you come? Will you come to Australia? One? Have you been to Australia, Matt?
0: I've not. I've I have a very sad international travel resume. <laughs> I've been to Ireland and I've been to Iceland.
1: Oh, well, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. So, yeah, that's that's good. Well, maybe you. I'd love to show you around in Australia or South Australia, particularly one day. So.
0: I appreciate that. I mean, I have this blessing and curse built in one in terms of where I live, because I have some of the best Southwest American desert landscapes within two hours of my house. And then I have the best mountains an hour from my house. So I'm just like, like, People are like, oh, we should go here and here. And I'm like, yeah, but this is like right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's, it looks really incredible. It looks amazing. Yes, you certainly have a great, great access to incredible landscapes. So different to my, my the landscapes I have here, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, wrapping things up, I'm curious, who would you recommend our listeners learn, learn more about or who should we have here on the podcast?
1: Okay, so there's a few Australian photographers that I would like to mention. One of them is Judith Nangala Crispin. She's a photographic artist and she photographs wildlife. And so I think she honours the life of those creatures and her photographic process. It can take, the exposure can be up to 50 hours, but, and she uses sort of some sort of that you need to Google it because she uses different chemicals, but it's very, very poignant work, and I just absolutely love it. It's amazing. So Judith Nungala Crispin, she's one of my favourite sort of photographic artists in Australia. Mika Boynton, Matt, you're familiar with her beautiful work, aerial photographer. Well, she does all sorts of landscape, but aerial photographer. Uh, lots of Iceland, lots of Icelandic images that I love. Another Australian portrait photographer, Carol Mills Narona. She's sort of doing an ongoing poignant series around her elderly father who is living, a person living with dementia. Yeah, again, very poignant and just that kind of ongoing commitment to photographing one subject. That's gritty. That's uh, incredible. Nick Duncan is a Western, Australia, a Western Australian fo- portrait photographer. She's been travelling around Western Australia, capturing the stories of people who live in some of the communities, you know, great Australian characters and incredible stories. Yeah, love her. I, I, I love that that project, I guess I'd love to, wish that was me doing that project, I would love that. A South Australian photographer, David Dahlenberg, he does aerial images of South Australia, you know, lots of of the Salt Lakes and also Lake Northern South Australia, Lake Air, beautiful work. So he's definitely worth looking into. Yeah, so they're probably they're the ones that I'm kind of think are worth having a look at.
0: Brilliant. Well yes. Karen, this has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. It's been great to chat to you and yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope this
0: Yeah, of has been, course I appreciate you being vulnerable there and talking about all of that grief.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's been, yeah, it's been, has been, it's a it's a scary thing to do this, but I'm really glad that I have been brave enough to, to take part in your podcast today. So thank you so much.
0: Of course. Well, thank you to Karen for joining me on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I wish you the best of success in your work. Keep up the amazing photography, I really like it a lot. I wanted to continue to encourage listeners to join me over on Nature Photographers Network. NPN is a great place for seeing photographs, receiving and sending critique, learning from your peers, and so much more. NPN has really picked up over the past two months and it's as active as ever. I have found myself spending way more time on NPN than Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's just the best place on the internet to engage with other photographers about nature photography, and it only costs $49 per year. Just head over to npn.link forward slash fstop to join. Use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount. That's npn.link forward slash fstop. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.